Welcome everyone to episode 10, the final episode of season 5 of the Northern Spoon podcast. My name as ever is Michael Taylor by day, I'm the editor of Business Desk here in the Northwest. We've got some sad news about my co-host Chris McGuire, who is no longer a small C conservative, he's an conservative. We've also got a special guest, Luke Cordwell. Welcome both. Hello. Good morning. And we've got some breaking news. It saved this podcast, didn't it? We have nothing to talk about. <laughs> We struggled and Suella Brainman has gone. She's saved the day yet again. Yeah. Early reactions, Lou? <laughs> I, uh, the, the, there are no words of elation big enough, I, I suspect. <laughs> Having seen the events of yesterday, uh, if we were in any doubt as yeah. the consequences of those uh, that kind of narrative and those kind of yeah. actions, then we saw it yesterday. The comments so, around the protests in London and yeah, Remembrance Sunday. Absolutely yeah. abhorrent behaviour as a consequence. So, yeah, I think it's the right thing. It's just a little bit too late, isn't it? And Chris? Yeah, well, we called out Cruella um, last week as an outrageously cruel Home Secretary. She went down even lower in my estimation when she accused the police of bias on the eve of these big uh, marches. Um, and then the mic drop moment is David Cameron walks to 10 Downing Street this morning. And the only analogy I could think of, it was a bit like when Gaza turned up at Raoul Moat with his fishing rod and his bucket of KFC. Um, the rumour is that he's going to take over from James Cleverley as the uh, Foreign Secretary as he steps into uh, Corella's shoes at the Home Office. But absolutely, I think it creates a... It's going to be open warfare at uh, the Conservative Party now, I sense. But it's the right decision. She's a horrible, horrible individual. Well, uh, so two things sprung to mind with bringing David Cameron back, right, Chris? Last week, we discussed the relationships between business and politics. What did David Cameron do after he left office? He went to work for Greensill Capital. I've been to their desolate office premises at Daresbury, and it's a real signifier, a totem to the um, disaster capitalism. Mm -hmm. What an absolute shambles that was. Yeah. Yeah, and who would ever have thought you might see him walking back through those doors? He made, I, wonder, I wonder if he's whistling the same tune he whistled when he <laughs> left office. He made, um, apparently made 3.3 million out of Greensill Capital. So, um, yeah, a hugely fascinating decision. We we follow stuff on Twitter as well, and everyone's like, you know, you know, WTF sort of thing, you know, <laughs> uh, just making sure I've got the initials in the right order there. But uh, the great thing about having a guest on today, Lou, is that whatever we don't know ourselves, we'll just throw it open to you and say, what do you think is going to happen in the reshuffle, Lou? <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely wouldn't have predicted Cameron, so uh, he surprised us there. Yeah. But I guess if you think about the logic, if you needed some sage in inverted commas counsel yeah. as to somebody who's been on the journey that he's going to go on, you can see some logic in trying to bring somebody who's, you know who's been through that moment. I'm having a flashback. It's 2008. <laughs> Gordon Brown is struggling. What does he do? He brings back Peter Mandelson. It's a Mandy moment all it over again. It? Yeah. <laughs> God, he's uh, obviously going to be intensely relaxed about what, uh, whatever went on at uh, uh, yeah. Greensill Capital. <laughs> right, Lou, you are our special guest. We've already thrown you straight into the mix. Yeah. Tell us a bit about yourself and what you do for the Greater Manchester Business Board and your other business interests. Yeah, so, uh, well, I chair the Greater Manchester Business Board. I've, I've had the pleasure of sitting on that that was the artist formerly known as the LEP, uh, <laughs> uh, as, as it was for many years, um, sat under Mike Blackburn, who obviously chaired it and, and is huge figure in the greater Manchester business community uh, and yeah, uh, trained under him. And uh, and three years ago, the week we went into lockdown, took over the business board, which has been an extraordinary learning curve. Uh, yeah. yeah. What, and tell us about what you've done in business. You, you do a bit of work now for Bruntwood SciTech. Yes. I, 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 I finished Manchester. two weeks ago, actually. Right. So yeah, I've been helping with that project uh, until recently, which is, has been a bit of a crazy roller coaster. Uh, and before that, I built uh, a tech business yeah. for 21 years uh, with Magnetic North, uh, which 
uh, then became Magnetic as it merged with Flux. And I'm still a bit involved in that business as Chief Creative Officer. Breaking news, Claxon. James Cleverley has been confirmed as a new Home Secretary. I can bring you that exclusively oh, from BBC. Wowzers. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, good stuff. Right. I'm really glad that you've been able to join us, Lou. Uh, in the last two episodes, we've spoken about the BBC, the relationship between business and politics, doing mm -hmm. a couple of deep dives. So having you as a guest will be really good because you did a lot of work for the BBC for when you were at Magnetic yeah, North. long time. When you were running that business, didn't you? Is it right? Am I right in thinking that you, your business created the Desert Island Discs we website? Did. Yeah. It was one of the first projects we did for the BBC long before they came to Manchester. Uh, and somebody told me a few years ago, which we never knew, that apparently the code name for the move to Manchester, and I don't think we can claim Globe, was Project Magnetic North. No. Yeah, and I didn't know that, but we, were, we worked good. with them for about 10 years before they moved and never really believed that the Salford move would happen and then were absolutely ecstatic when it did. So, yeah, we designed and built uh, the digitization of the archive, which wow. meant literally taking stuff from vinyl putting it into digital format and building all of that. So Brilliant. one great. one of many projects. We have a great national on. resource. Yeah. Right, Chris, just run us through some of the topics we've got coming up today. Well, there's uh, such a movable feast, actually. Um, well, we want to talk about, we're obviously going to talk about Cruella. Um, we're obviously going to talk about David Cameron now. Like yeah. you mentioned as well, we're going to get your insights as well, because you were at the Labour conference and you were at the Conservative conference. Yeah. You were there when uh, Rishi Sunak announced that High Speed 2 was, uh, has we been binned off to the north. And David yeah. Cameron came out famously the day after and said, or the day before and said, this would be a terrible mistake as well. So yeah. we're going to get your inside track on that. Mm -hmm. And the way the Conservatives really didn't want to get around the table with you and um, mm -hmm. Andy Burnham. And, uh, you know, that 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 was uh, hugely fascinating as well. I want to talk about Reach, uh, the newspapers. They've announced mm -hmm. cuts of 450 job cuts last week, which is absolutely horrendous. Um, we're going to talk about that as well. Um, and I'm going to talk about a programme that I watched called The Detectives, um, which focuses on organised crime in Rochdale. Fascinating. It's recommended to me by by one of uh, one of your good friends, Michael, Andy Spinoza. Which is a seamless link, of course, because I went to the paperback launch on Friday night of Andy's version of his book, Manchester Unspun, which was absolutely fascinating, with the broadcaster, Stuart McConey. We're also going to be talking about the events that happened in London and other cities over the weekend around Remembrance Sunday and the, the Gaza demonstrations. Before all of that, though, we've got a few thank yous, starting with the award-winning What Media, who expertly produce our podcast every single week. They recently won the Best Travel Tech Provider Award at the Global Youth Travel Awards in Lisbon, in Portugal, one of my favourite countries to visit. And we're also going to be thanking our headline sponsors, FI Real Estate Management, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, FI Real Estate Management have supported us through the last two seasons of Northern Spin. They're headquartered in Chorley, but they have a network of properties across the UK with bases including in London as well. Uh, and tenants can tap into that network of properties as well. So they can cater from anyone from a one-person band working from home or a company wanting a uh, whole office like an enterprise customer. They don't just work in one sector. They work across the piece, across office, commercial, industrial markets, FI Real estate management pride themselves on growing with their customers on their journey so if you need space contact fi real estate management thank you very much chris right we've got our special guest lou cordwell the chair of the man the greater manchester business board formerly known as the lep now the leps local enterprise partnerships were introduced by the conservative mm -hmm. government by david cameron's government yes, in fact yeah in 2010 after the abolition I feel a of theme the, coming on today yeah <laughs> after the abolition of the regional <laughs> development agencies so you you've Obviously, you mentioned the context that you started yeah, sharing it yeah. during the pandemic. Do you think, on balance, as that relationship, as the voice of business, 
here in Greater Manchester, the one you've chaired, but mm -hmm. also, you, you know, you do work on the, is it the N8 or whatever it's called? Yes, yeah, the MP11. The MP11. The, yeah, you the, said ma yes. the mayor's is the you 8. You said yes, but, but yeah. I was completely incorrect. Yeah. <laughs> You're in the right ballpark. MP11, yeah. yeah. N8's the universities, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so you work with those, and they're all really different in their own way. Massively different. You're yeah. like more of a strategic body, is that... Yeah. My correct interpretation. And more hand in hand with the combined authority. So so one of the in the review of the LEPs, one of the conclusions that um came out actually in Gove's Lovely Not White paper was that we needed to move um nationally to more of an integrated model. So I think just, you know, we, we would say recognition that Manchester got the model right, that working hand in hand is the right way. And obviously Manchester has for hundreds of years a long-standing heritage of, you know, whether it's canals industrial revolution, political change. We've always worked hand in hand as politicians and uh, uh, industry together. So so it's uh, it was a change, but not really a change for us when uh, when the, the death of the LEPs was announced. Okay. So one <clears throat> of the things that I picked up from Andy's book launch on Friday night mm. was that close relationship. Um, he cites this letter that Graham Stringer supposedly wrote as the leader of Manchester City Council yes. to to the Thatcher government in 1987 after Labour had lost another election. Yeah, and it basically just said, "We give up. We're not <laughs> going on the collision course that Liverpool have had. We're going to work with you." Yes, and obviously they started a great relationship with Michael Heseltine. Yes, who, yeah, who, who I mean Heseltine was instrumental yeah. in all of that. Yeah, yeah. and, and that, in fairness, actually massively passionate about devolved power. Yeah the success of the the regions outside of London and the Southeast. So, and so a huge supporter actually of, yeah. of that work. So, but Chris mentioned sometimes when it doesn't work quite so well. Yeah. So we want to get your insights, don't we, Chris, about yeah. what happened in the room during Tory conference here in Manchester. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's, there's what a lot didn't of, happen in the room. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, we're, we're sort of a current affairs podcast today because we're reflecting very much on a moving story. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I just thinking with David Cameron, can you imagine if David Cameron's just got a prearranged date for Christmas with Rishi and he's just happened to be walking up at the same time, you know, <laughs> and this is just a, this is just to confuse the waiting media yeah. and to confuse uh, I like myself. I think he's going back in though to resurrect HS2. I mean, may, well, maybe this is it. He know, is, he is. I mean, Rishi Sunak is the, the candidate for change. Prime Minister because he's going to bring back a Prime Minister who was uh, last in office like seven or eight years ago as well. Yeah, I want to take you back to the party conference. It feels like years ago, yes, the Conservative Party Conference. Um, and obviously it had been trailed that mm -hmm. uh, Rishi was going to sack off High Speed 2 link to the north mm -hmm. as well. So it was no great surprise. You were there with Andy Burnham um, and, and, and you know, fellow members of the business group. Um, when Rishi Sunak announced that he was stopping it, it wasn't mm. going to go ahead... And, and just remember, this is a family show. What was your immediate thoughts? <laughs> well, I, I think there was a, a bit of an air of disbelief, really, that, you know, it was kind of trailed, as you said, that they might announce it when they were in Manchester. It felt like a slightly crazy mic drop move yeah. to in the city that would be most affected by that news that you would be audacious enough. Uh, and and I think at one point we thought perhaps it was going to be a bit of a show of strength, you know, that yeah. the idea was this was Rishi making bold moves, except it kind of dribbled out, didn't it, across it the did. conference rather than a big announcement. So yeah. we held a press conference in the end just before uh, the Tories left town on the train uh, uh, with Bev myself Craig, and yourself, Bev and, and Andy, Andy really. And I think the, you know, the the words we and the language we used in that were around betrayal, really, that... You know, we've always considered in the way you're describing there from this kind of stringer era, 
a, a very open door policy in Manchester, whether you want to come talk to business, whether you want to talk to political leaders, both. We pride ourselves on collaboration. And actually, we've collaborated very well with this government on a whole host of issues from the work with Gove on levelling up and, you know, all of that. So, and and so many times we extended the hand of collaboration to say, look, if this is, if this is something you're thinking about and you're in our city, please come and talk to us. So I don't think we could quite believe that somebody would, one, announce that on our doorstep, two, not just come and have a conversation with one of us before you did it and just understand what the implications would be, what our needs would be, why why we're so passionate about that and you know and if there's going to be a new strategy how we might help to shape that so i think what was really important to us is not to make that a political conversation but one of the reasons we brought so many businesses to that press conference was really to say there are huge economic impacts and a lot of my day-to-day is dealing with investors you know if you think about the tech community there's a really appealing idea of a single uk tech community with King's Cross at one end of the train line and Manchester at the other, access to both of those talent pools, access to both of uh, those kind of deal flow uh, communities and to just kind of kill that overnight Mm. has huge implications. It it, it says a lot. So, yeah, absolute disbelief in all Mm. honesty that 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 would be um, done on our doorstep. Shocking, absolutely shocking. Yeah. I mean, we I, I usually reserve all my indignation for the Tories <laughs> on this podcast. I'm the one who can say what I really think. Mm. Chris, however, uh, has been described, describes himself as a small C conservative, but that, that C's got almost to a vanishing point now where <laughs> one of our regular listeners, Joanne Lake, has described him as an conservative. Yes. Yeah. It's hard to um, it's hard to be very conservative. Like for a long period of time, at least the perception was that Labour weren't very business friendly and they couldn't handle the economy. Mm-hmm. So all the things that you went to the Conservatives for because they're pro business and they can handle the economy have uh, you know disappeared. Yeah. And it's the Labour Party which you went to their conference a week after as yeah. well. Yeah. And there were loads of businesses in the room, weren't there? Huge business support. And I think what's really interesting is I know people who for long periods of time have been Tory party donors, not just supporters. I know who you're talking about. Who are now saying, actually, it's time. We need a change. And they're they're shifting sides, if that's the right language, to support a changing government. This Tory Tory party donor must have been doing the rounds because Michael and I both said, (laughs) you know. several of them, not just one, there's several. Yeah, yeah. Somebody said to me, don't start me off about the Conservatives. (laughs) I said, but you've, you've, you've bankrolled them, you know, like that, yeah. uh, for a period of time. That's yeah. how angry people are. Yeah, definitely. Right, let's move the conversation on just a touch. This is fascinating, by the way. Um, Suella Braverman, like what happened? <laughs> Absolutely. How, how's madness. that? Chris, give us, give us a summary about where this all began. Obviously yeah. with you condemning it last week. Yeah, is- absolutely, yeah. And I think um, in the annals of history, it'll go down as Chris McGuire's rant on uh, episode nine of The Northern Spin that finally <laughs> did for her. The thing is, is that she's been trying to create this, this narrative that she's the future of the Conservative Party. So she's clearly trying to make a pitch for the next leadership battle. When the mm. Conservatives lose, as they surely will, the next general election as well, um, things went, things went from, 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 uh, from bad to worse when, when she decided to write a piece um, you know, a newspaper article which wasn't cleared by Ten Downing Street, in mm-hmm. which she accused the police of bias on the eve of these, um, on the eve of these uh, these mm-hmm. uh, marches at the weekend, and and and, and I watched this uh, as I mentioned earlier. I watched this TV documentary, The Detectives, and I would recommend it to anybody. It was uh, filmed over two years, and it looked at organised crime in Rochdale, which, for the sake of argument, you know, 
I love Rochdale. I spent two years working with the Rochdale Development Agency there as a consultant. It's a wonderful place. It gets a really bad rap. This program is absolutely fantastic and well worth watching. You know, so then you see that, what they do, and they, mm. they, they, they the police and the, you know, are facing threats all the time. We saw the situations in mm. London at the weekend where, you know, the police were standing and they were being confronted by, by thugs. Mm. Um, and they don't take a backward step as well. And you've got the, you've got the Home Secretary, whose job it is should be to back the police, yeah. you know, um, accusing him of being biased. There was yeah. nowhere to go. It was completely untenable. And yeah. she went. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah, well, I mean, I could go on a bit more, but um, we've got we've got we've got a guest to provide that sort of insight as well. I mean, the speculation was, of course, that she would go today, and we are recording this yeah. on Monday. And um, but obviously, you've got the Rwanda decision on Wednesday when the uh, mm -hmm. the court's going to come back as to whether or not that policy is lawful or not. That'll be interesting. I tell you yeah. what, is, I tell you what's really interesting is that she genuinely thinks that she could be conservative party leader. I think even with a reduced Tory majority. With a rump of Tory, let's say there's 120, 150 Tory MPs after yeah. the next general election. How many of them really are thinking, yeah, she's the one to get us back from this really, really bad yeah. electoral position? I don't think she's got the numbers. No, I don't think so. But I think what is interesting is who's supporting that. So she yeah. can't be having that conversation just with herself. So there must be at least some support within yeah. the party. Uh, and and I, think, um, I think it's also this kind of gamification of politics yeah. that... We've moved to an era where the the purpose of the press articles, the statements, the shuffles is about the personal um, career progression of those individuals, as opposed to you know you talk about the Hesseltine era mm. and, with, and and the an absolute vocation. And whether you yeah. agreed with the policy or not, genuinely it came from a perspective of do I believe this will be the best thing for the country? And whether that works out or it doesn't, you, you know, time will tell. I think what's what's was so upsetting with the scenes yesterday is that's done, as you say, entirely in a game of chess that she thinks will manoeuvre her own career. And you stood watching that footage, which was so distressing of frontline policemen, you know, having that abuse and that physical abuse, that verbal abuse as a consequence. So, <laughs> so if you're in the public eye and you're in a position of incredible power like that, everything you say has a consequence and you have to consider your words really. So using those platforms for your own personal gain is just wrong. And then obviously the whole tone of what's coming out of her mouth when she speaks is incendiary, you mm. know, and, and fueling hate, you know, and we're mm -hmm. seeing that now ripple through not just those political moments, but, you know, the, the interaction with public workers generally in, in society, which just, is horrific. I'm going to ask a question, if I may, which is, um, we, we've spoken about Corella. She's not going to disappear, but and we, we talk about, you know, this rump of support that she's got. I mean, yeah. Andrea Jenkins, uh, Leeds <laughs> MP, Conservative MP, she's come out on Twitter. We don't call it X, incidentally. It's our stand against Elon Musk. Like you know, <laughs> saying that she's backing Suella Braverman. It's a bad decision by Rishi Sunak. Now, the fact is, if if... You know, Michael calls them the thick right, um, which they are, to be fair, yeah. that side of the party, because, you know, they are completely deluded as well. And Andrea Jenkins's track record is not very good as mm. well. So if you only get the mad right coming out in support of mm. Suella Braveman, that will be a good decision. Mm. The bigger issue, though, is what it means for Rishi Sunak. Mm. Now, I think Rishi Sunak was in a very invidious position before the weekend, because if he got rid of her before the weekend mm. and it kicked off like Suella Braveman yeah. said, then he yeah. would look bad. The first opportunity he's had to get rid of her, he has, and he's coincided with this sort of reshuffle as well but you just get the impression with Rishi Sunak is that 
he was the stability prime minister for the first year. Now mm. the battle's on mm. for the second year, but he comes across as, and I'd describe him as like a teacher who, when he turns his back, all the class are pulling faces at him. <laughs> Sorella Braveman is the classroom bully, but there are other people now willing to take pop shots. Yeah. He, the problem is he doesn't want to make a decision. So the decisions he makes are, we're not going to do this, we're not going to do that, we're not mm. going to do high speed too. Nadine Doris, for example, anybody, if you were running a business... And you've run businesses. If you had a Nadine Doris type character in your business, mm -hmm. you would have got rid of her a long Absolutely. time ago. Yeah. So, yeah. so why doesn't he see the danger that she presents? And why does he allow these people to fester in a business? Because they're called, there's a guy that I know calls them internal terrorists. What yes. they effectively do is they yes. pollute the people who, who are malleable. Yeah. And then you get a bigger army of people against you. I yeah. mean, what does it mean for Rishi Sunak? Yeah. Michael. Yeah, I think it's absolutely evidence that she's been, Lyndon Johnson used this phrase about it's better to have them inside the tent thing rather mm, than mm, mm. Um, on, on the outside pissing in. I think mm. what's happened is she's doing it all over him and making him look ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Which I actually have borrowed from Andrew Rawls in The Observer this weekend, <laughs> yeah. just, just to give it due credit yeah. as, a, as an anecdote. Um, I do think he... I think weakness is almost built in and baked into his political persona. I think so. I think he re he probably recognises that, that he, it was only a matter of time before he, he knew he had to get rid of her, mm. that it was untenable. Mm. She was almost begging him to sack her mm. so she, she could take up that position as mm. the leader of the thick right. Mm. And there's a few other people like MP John Hayes. One of the other things that consequences of this reshuffle is other, other Tory junior, relatively junior ministers, not... Um, front bench ministers like Neil O'Brien, who's been in many ways a great ally yes. of the projects that you've been working yeah, on. As, you know, he was a levelling up minister. I know he's been yeah. working in the Department for Health on um, on, a, on an issue I feel really strongly about, about vaping mm. and regulating mm. the vaping industry. Mm. He's decided he wants to spend more time with his family and with his constituency. And I think it shows the panic on the faces of a lot of Tory MPs is that, you know, the the poll leads at the moment are so astronomical. Yeah. They're going to have to work a little bit harder on their own individual patches. I think and, so. and can the Tories afford to lose talent like him? Yes. And you've dealt with him. Yeah, and, and he's super smart, listens to the evidence, <clears throat> creates smart strategy and policy on the basis of that evidence, exactly the kind of brain that they need in, in future government. I think, I think, yeah, I mean, you're quite right with the analogy with business. I mean, the it's it's going to be in the best of circumstances an extraordinary long shot for the Tories, isn't it? At this yeah. next election, the best chance you would have is to get your own house in order, make sure you've got unity in your team, <laughs> that everybody is pointed at the same north star, mm -hmm. everybody's got your back, and you're leading really strongly from the front. And uh, it doesn't feel like that's what he's creating no. well at the moment, so which gives him even less chance. Got some breaking news, town. Michael. You want to know oh, this? Go on. Okay, oh. I, like I say, I am the newsreader today, following. Uh, <laughs> Following what's happened, an announcement on Twitter uh, from the Prime Minister's Twitter account. The Right Honourable David Cameron has been appointed Secretary of State for the Foreign Commonwealth and Development Affairs. I'm just checking to make sure this isn't a parody account. I was going to say, uh, can you please you know, double check absolutely, that, that yeah, a you know, And there's a picture of him looking all smarm. And, uh, so you know, and some, the first comment, it's not April Fool's today, question mark. <laughs> um, care to tell us which constituency he represents? Um, it's like this is one and I'm making a danger here because I'm reading stuff out without having bettered it before <laughs> it's like when EastEnders loses its way or viewers decline they run out of ideas and bring back Cindy <laughs> so Cindy Cameron 
as coming to the rescue of the Conservatives. I wonder what that's doing for the odds of the Conservatives. Well, speak, speaking of EastEnders, I remember when Danny Dyer blamed David Cameron for Brexit and said, there he is with his trotters up in Nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, it can still be in Nice, can't it? Because well, that's, that's foreign now. fascinating move, that, isn't it? So mm. let's hope it's not a leadership contest, eh? Yeah, no, it's a, it is fascinating. You know, this is the last episode of season five of Northern Spin. We're taking a break for Christmas. We are coming back for a special to review the year, but we might have to bring back season six early to discuss the, because <laughs> cause, cause I think this could be, um, this we could have a really busy four or five weeks before Christmas yeah, now. Yeah. Um, might have to review it. The one thing that's worse than two wannabe journo hacks, you know, <laughs> wanting to be politicians, is not having a platform to vent our opinions to the world. <laughs> You've got to because do it. everybody wants to know what we think, don't yeah, they? You want to know, Lou? Don't I you? would like to know. Okay, good enough for us. Did you get that on camera? Okay, <laughs> very, good. very good. Right, just one thing we do before we go to the break. Um, at the book launch of Andy Spinoza's book on mm. Friday, Stuart McConey, who was interviewing him, from obviously from Radio Six Music, author, broadcaster of some long standing. He said something that's been chipping away at me all weekend. I'm interested in your view on mm -hmm. it, Lou. And it's that the rest of the the rest of the North now thinks of Manchester and speaks of Manchester the way the rest of the country thinks and talks about London. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it not always in a good way. Like, yes. You know, a lot of my townie relatives from Lancaster, they know they speak with starry eyes and say, "Oh, we're going to come down Manchester." And there are people from outside who refer to the city yeah. centre as town, yeah. which is something Andy describes in his book. Yeah, you know, which yeah. I'm sure you. Yeah, I still you're, you're, use that phrase. Going yeah. to town. Going yeah. town. <laughs> um, but not always in a good way. You know, yeah. there is that sense that you you will have got um, as the as the chair of the lap that oh, Manchester gets everything. Yeah, and I think we've had that circulating for a while. I mean, as soon as the leveling up narrative was introduced. You know, there was this kind of backlash around, well, levelling up doesn't mean Manchester. Manchester's had enough, you know, and actually it means everywhere else. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and you have to remind people levelling up is not about levelling us down. And I think, you know, I mean, Howard always used to... Howard very, Bernstein. Howard Bernstein always used to, you know, eloquently point out that, you know, there was no strong southeast without a strong London in the same way there is no strong north without a strong Manchester. And, you know, we have things like the International Airport, we have the transport connectivity, you know, Piccadilly, the most connected point in the north of England, all of those things. I think it shouldn't be Manchester at the at the expense of the rest of the north. And I think actually the advent of people like Andy as leaders and Bev as our lead, they're very collaborative across the north. They work in a, in a really joined up way. We've worked across the MP11 and the LEP. So I think we recognise that we need the other cities and city regions of the north to do well but also we can help a bit with that heavy lifting as well. So, but I think, yeah, it, it, it's, it's circulated before as a, you know, the anti-Manchester narrative. It's back to the, the hate dialogue, isn't it? It's like, it doesn't have to be either or, it doesn't have to be a negative. People's success and places' success mm. can benefit everyone. What do people in Shirley think about Manchester? Do they look down at it as the, the big gleaming big city where it's where you live? Yeah, um, yeah. I, I uh, quite often eat at Harvesters, if you're interested. It's the... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's described locally as the Ivy of Chorley. Um, you'd be very welcome there. Michael, not so, because he's, he's, dished, he's uh, dished it in the past. Uh, um, no, I think the thing is, I think the thing is, is that, like, Chorley's in Lancashire, right? Lancashire is going to get a devolution deal, but yeah. it doesn't want an elected mayor. Yeah. It looks towards Manchester, which has got an elected mayor. It looks towards Liverpool, which has got an elected mayor. You know, and it sees them as, if you like, sucking the the talent away from mm. the, mm. the regions. Um, I, I don't think, I think, a bit like you were saying earlier, I don't think people necessarily see, you know, Manchester's evil big brother now. Um, you know, I think Manchester and Chorley and Bolton and these areas see their role 
you know, they benefit from this association with yeah. a strong Manchester. One thing that interests me, though, if I may, and I'm conscious of our time, um, is that recently the GM Business Board signed a partnership uh, with innovation clusters in Cambridge yeah, to right. boost investment in both cities and across the wider UK. Yeah. We talk about levelling up as levelling up in the north as mm -hmm. well. But, yeah. but you're saying levelling up, you know, it doesn't need to be Leeds, Le uh, Leeds Liverpool, yeah. you know, Newcastle. It can be Manchester, yeah. uh, Cambridge as well. Why yeah. is that so important, do you think? So I, so I think, um, you know, we're entering a really challenging era for the UK. So the, so the UK has, regardless of whichever government we have, a massive ambition around science and tech in particular on the innovation agenda. Uh it has huge international calling cards like Cambridge, which are, whether we like it or not, globally significant and bring people and money and talent. Um, but if you go and spend time in places like Cambridge, they also have challenges we don't have. So in, in pockets of Cambridge, you almost have a kind of anti-growth view because it's there's 120,000 people live in Cambridge versus 2.8 million in Greater Manchester property is expensive transport is difficult access to talent is difficult you know so there is a there you know you've got the the government's 2040 strategy around cambridge but it's not going to overnight solve the problem so from a uk perspective we've got an opportunity to build a really strong uk proposition between those two cities that says if we want to land a thousand jobs in whatever science and technology you can put 900 in manchester really comfortably and 100 in cambridge and you can get the benefit of both of those universities both of those talent ecosystems and that's great for the country and great for both of those places and as those businesses in cambridge scale up if they're in advanced manufacturing or biotech where are they going to build the factory where are they going to put their next 500 employees if they're not going to find that on the doorstep and they can't and some of those employees can't afford to live in cambridge anymore so i think what we realized in those again it's about holding hands with other places and that doesn't just have to be across the north i think this next era, if we can be smart on our collaborations between places, we can probably get there a lot quicker. Fantastic. Mm. Right, that's probably all we've got time for in this section before we come back for our regulars of On Manoeuvres, which, well, where do we even begin with that one this week? <laughs> uh, anything to see here? Where do we even start with that one as well? And, of course, our cultural bit at the end where Chris will be giving us the latest update from the star menu at the Harvest. Have you brought the Christmas <laughs> menu out yet? Um, anyway, before all of that, let's have a word from our sponsor, Assets Capital. Assets Capital is a leading Manchester-based independent specialist lender who, for the last 10 years, have supported UK SME, house builders, property investors and business owners to achieve their ambitions. Having lent over $1.7 to date and with ambitious growth plans, assets are well on their way to breaking through the $2 billion of lending as they embark on the next phase of their journey. They have a dedicated team of property professionals and lending specialists who pride themselves on getting to know their customers and being with them on every step of the journey. If you need a straightforward, no-nonsense lending partner with a proven track record, contact Andrew Charnley and the team at Assets Capital. Big enough to matter, small enough to care. Welcome back to part two of Northern Spin and a couple of our regular features, anything to see here and on manoeuvres. We're also joined by our special guest, Lou Cordwell, 
So, Lou, when you started Magnetic North, mm -hmm. you did a lot of work for the BBC. Yes. We spoke about the BBC a couple of weeks ago on this podcast in a deep dive episode that we did. What's your take generally on the BBC and more particularly their contribution to tech yeah. in the North? I mentioned on that one two weeks ago, the iPlayer was invented at Media City in their yeah. digital team, wasn't it? For yeah. instance, which is one of the best innovations BBC have done in recent yeah, years. Definitely. Although I have met at least 43 people who all claim to have personally invented it. Oh, yeah. So we, we're never quite sure, but definitely up here. And I think, yeah. you know, we always said when the BBC came in, you know, we worked with the BBC for 10 years before they made the move north. Uh, and I think um, we always said when you wrote the history of Manchester's science and tech success story, that as we hoped it would be then, that would be the big flag in the ground moment. And I think it's easy now to forget that. It's easy to forget those roots. Uh, and as turbulent as it was at the time, because they hoovered up a lot of talent that they then spat back out and uh, and trained up, uh, it was a really seminal moment and a massive mark of confidence and and actually a good reminder as we start to think about the economy and what comes next of the role that public service organisations can play in boosting regional economies and and the UK as a whole. So. Yeah, I've got I have a massive affection for for the BBC and what it brought here. That's the good thing. That's the good stuff, right? That's okay, the, the media's stuff. changed. Yeah, has the BBC changed quick enough? I don't think it's changed quick enough, and I also think you know it's been under attack from the current government quite severely, both in terms of its budgets, you know, its pressure to behave and conform, uh, and and I think actually it's lost a lot of its way and a lot of its talent. So I think. It will be really interesting to see whether a changing government is prepared to to grab hold of a, a different opportunity for the BBC mm. because to have a public service broadcaster in this country is a massive asset and you yeah. only need to travel, as we all do internationally, to be reminded of that and, and outside in people see it as a massive mm. asset. And at a time when we've got huge challenges around social media, uh, you know, largely an American-owned media base, what that's doing to our children's mental health, what that does to journalistic integrity. You know, look at look at the Daily Mail stoking up of the situation over the weekend yeah. in conjunction yeah. with, you know, I think we've got a real challenge on not just media, but social media and content, legitimacy in an AI universe, what's real, what's not, mm. what's the source. So I think the BBC could play an important role, not just in British media, but in society, actually, in solving some of those challenges that we've got moving forward. And sacking Carol Vorderman isn't part of the plan. Definitely. I mean, that. Vorder's for PM, right? She's, <laughs> she rules the free world. Yeah. So what's been going on with that, Chris? Carol Vorderman, anything to see here? Yeah, we've spoken a lot about the fact that she's very outspoken against yeah. the Conservative government, which she thinks is riddled with corruption. And she's called it out. The thing is, she's got a job on BBC Wales. So after the Gary Lineker... Yeah. kerfuffle you know they brought in this new code of conduct in effect and she was always going to be on the wrong side of that yeah so inevitably she had to go but you're not going to keep carol Vorderman quiet no. i think there's an in interesting point here though in terms of you know these other celebrities who are outspoken mm. gary lineker mm. i've just mentioned being mm. one as well i mean do you think the likes of vorders as you clearly have you met her i've never met her she have was you? my dad who's no longer with us yeah his absolute heartthrob because one, oh. she was pretty and two, she could do maths, which was probably <laughs> oh. more important what more to him do you than want? the, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's like oh. ideal woman. <laughs> um, but, but do you think like the likes of Carol Vorderman and Gary Lineker et al, they should be allowed to say what they want on social media platforms? Well, I, I think if you're in the public eye, you're allowed a, an opinion. I think you're not allowed to be, you know, inciting, ironically, given the conversation, inciting hate and, and terrible behavior and, mm. and, you know, and behaving inappropriate. I think to have an opinion on these things is perfectly legitimate. I think, 
what it does is illustrate the challenge of that kind of journalistic freedom is is questionable now within the BBC and and they're obviously under a lot of pressure from the current government and that's that you know there needs to be a separation between the BBC and the government the government should not be running the BBC no it's micromanagement yeah, insane it level is. isn't it just want to move quickly on to another media story that's happened over the last week both Chris and I have got backgrounds in, obviously, in, in the media. And Reach PLC, which owns the Daily Mirror, the Daily Express, Daily Star, but also a whole swathe of other regional newspapers, mm. including on your patch, yeah. Manchester Evening News and a series, a, a load of other weekly newspapers. They're getting rid of loads of jobs. Yeah. Um, some of the jobs under threat are some of the journalists that Chris and I know have rubbed shoulders with over the years. And it really does seem to be a further undermining of... Um, the strength of local media mm. seems to be in a death spiral. Yeah, yeah it, it, I'm really passionate about this as well. And, you know, in terms of you can look at the way they've done it, uh, the way they announced it as well. There's some good people locally, um, yeah. people like David Higginson, who's a chief digital publisher at Reach as well. He, he's a newspaper man at heart, you know, and, and um, you know, he's uh, he took to LinkedIn to talk about the heartbreaking week it has been. 450 people, we just mentioned earlier off air, John Robinson, Northwest Business Editor at Business Life, he took to LinkedIn to say, look, I'm one of the guys who's going to lose my job. Anybody, anybody interested out there in employing me? Mm -hmm. Looks like he mm -hmm. might uh, have some interest as well. The problem is is reach don't seem to have a clear strategy. Mm. Uh, they seem to be prioritising clicks over content. Mm. And this is a headline in the Telegraph that sent absolute uh, you know, shockwaves down my spine. Mirror publisher to replace journalists with social media influencers. And I think what you're going to find and where some newspaper groups are going is content is key, mm. but actually they're trying to do a shortcut by bringing influencers. Mm. And as a consequence, this isn't like me and Michael are journalists. You, know, you could argue we've got a vested interest here. But if you go down that route, all mm. you do is you water down quality journalism yeah. to the point you can't even see it. That must scare yeah. you. Yeah, I think that that plus the advent of AI is is really scary, isn't it? Because for the you know for our children, for the next generation coming through, what's true news? What's true media? How do you begin to interpret that? What's the source? What are the legitimate sources? And how do you learn to read news and understand what, what's true and, in, and and what isn't and interpret that. So I think there's always been a bedrock of regional journalism that is close to the source, you know, is is uh, integrated into the community. And actually, I mean, we, you know, we looked at it at, at your recent event, you know, Michael, with, where is, you know, it's not just about the journalism. They also convene and they, you know, they network people, they connect businesses they you know they're, they're an integral part of thriving business communities so i think mm. that's that's the huge shame it is indeed that just one other thing i want to quickly quickly um move the conversation on to um it's not a frivolous story but there's two elements to it one is this week is respect for shop workers week yeah. a campaign that the co-op manchester headquartered retailer is supporting as is <laughs> the manchester headquartered trade union usdor which represents mm. people who work in shops They've championed a campaign called Freedom from Fear because mm. of the, the assaults that, that their staff have suffered. I was speaking to somebody from the co-op last week who was saying, you know, this isn't you know, wiping a few things through the self-checkout mm. mm. um, or, or, or shoplifting because they're, they're destitute. There are instances of that, but for the most part, it, it's it's looting. Yeah, It's yeah. people going in with holdalls and just swiping meat and vodka yeah. and all sorts yeah. of high-value items. And... You know, the numbers of their staff being assaulted is, yeah. is absolutely horrific. Yeah. And yet, on the other hand, I've no, uh, there's a story I saw last week that Booth's Northern Quality yeah. Retailer have got rid of self-checkouts. Yeah. Are the two linked, maybe? 
Yeah, I, I don't know whether the two are linked. I think I think the removal of the self checkouts is is great, particularly. I mean, it, it's interesting with booze, isn't it? They've got a. Uh, they tend to be located often in places where... Nutsford and Halebarn. Yeah, where the, and also there's a kind of a more elderly community yeah. for whom that could be their only social interaction of the day. Yeah. And if we look at an ageing population, actually, you know, I, I think it's good that people get more human-to-human -human contact, which is largely, you know, good, good for their health and well-being, good for communities. I think, I mean, the you know, I think it almost goes back to the events we saw at the weekend, doesn't it? That violence in the kind of retail environments and the feels like we've got a breaking down of some of these boundaries and and a legitimizing of that behavior uh probably that combined with you know lack of police resources which yeah. is you know again back to we've not got enough police probably on the streets because of the budget challenges and and that just makes some of the activity easier but you know frankly people in shops are not paid enough money to be no. dealing to be dealing with that so i think it's good that we raise awareness but um, that in itself is not going to yeah. be, be the, the policy changes and the strategy changes that are needed, is it? And now we've got a new Home Secretary coming in whose responsibilities are policing priorities. Obviously, yeah. Yeah. some of the policing priorities in a city like Manchester or in yeah. a city region like Greater Manchester are the responsibilities ultimately of the Mayor yeah. as yeah. Police and Crime Commissioner. But we do seem to have a more robust attitude from the police in Greater Manchester in yeah. particular yeah. in tackling... Um, crime that affects people in their daily lives and rather yeah. than saying oh no it's all it's all online and cyber now yeah i think so he I seems think... a good a good sort of grassroots officer doesn't he steve yeah, watson i think so i think <laughs> it's, it's going to come down to the the challenges for everybody as as local authorities and and police included is the budget challenges that come up so again yeah. the police can only police as as best they can with the budgets that they're given mm. and and you know uh, uh so you know we know that's not a, just a Greater Manchester challenge, is it? It's no, everywhere it's across the UK. So, Chris, who have we got on manoeuvres this week? There must be loads. Of, wait, wait, the entire <laughs> the entire Conservative Party well, is on manoeuvres this week as we keep being updated. I, I feel like um, you know that person you have in a meeting and they look at their phone when they're talking to you. You know, I literally don't. And, and I'm keeping an eye you on what's happening. Theresa May has uh, welcomed uh, David Cameron, and uh, David Cameron wow. has posted a lengthy piece on Twitter. Wow. Um, you know, it's like it's all planned and saying that it, although they've had their differences, he thinks that uh, Rishi Sunak is a fantastic exemplary Prime Minister as well. So, uh, wow. yeah. Yeah, so basically, in terms of our manoeuvres, everybody in the Conservative Party. <laughs> um, I think what you're seeing, though, is that, and I, Michael sets a very high bar to uh, to be in on manoeuvres, um, which I very rarely meet. But but <laughs> I'm going to mention the name of somebody, Scunthorpe Conservative MP Holly Mumby-Croft. Now, she uh, urged ministers to guarantee that steel can continue to be made in the UK amid concerns over British Steel's plans to close blast furnaces for eco reasons. Unions fear that up to 2,000 jobs could be lost in the town due to switching to zero-carbon electric arc furnaces. Now, Mumby-Croft clearly just doing a job as a local MP but mm. clearly the optics of her asking an urgent question in the Commons clearly don't don't do her, uh, her any harm but I think what you're going to see now especially after today's announcement because you saw junior ministers like Neil O'Brien you mentioned mm. Nick Gibb you're going to see Conservative MPs who don't want to leave mm. in the next general election trying to put some distance between them and the government mm. to show that they're great constituents and MPs do you think there's anything to see here Michael? I don't think she necessarily passes the threshold of being, you know, on manoeuvres in that kind of cynical Michael mm. Gove way. Mm. Um, I think, but you make a very, very good point. 
Dee. Just pause, so everybody. Did. I've just said. <laughs> I've just fainted. I've just fainted. He never says that because you're here. I'm because you're here. A very, very, was it two varies or one? Very, very You make good a very point. good point that what this opens the floodgates to do mm-hmm. is given the perilous situation of the Conservative Party, you are going to see many more backbench Conservative MPs mm-hmm. of some standing. And Nick mm-hmm. Gibb has been an edu- the schools minister for as long as I can remember yeah, under pretty yeah. much every Conservative uh, education secretary and prime minister since 2010. He's yeah. been he's been doing some version of that job yeah. at various times. Yeah. So he's going to be on the back benches and he's got a huge amount of experience in the school sector. Not all good, but anyway. Um, Neil O'Brien, another great voice on the back benches who's going to yeah. be a, a problem. Yeah. Lots of problems being stored up for Rishi Sunak there, Chris. Yeah, I'm going to throw one back open to, uh, over to you because we've not really spoken about the Labour today. We've not needed to because we're talking about the Conservatives and uh, Cruella's demise. Um, one other name I want to mention to you is Bradford East MP Imran Hussain. Once again, I don't think he's setting, he's meeting the high threshold of being on manoeuvres. He's doing his job. But he became the first Labour frontbencher to quit in protest at Keir Starmer's stance on the conflict in Gaza. You know, this issue and this pressure on Sakir Starmer is not going to go away, is it? No, I think any constituency with a large Muslim population or with a large population that feel incredibly strongly about the situation in Israel and Gaza are going to be putting a lot of pressure on Keir Starmer to make a stance. Not that, I mean, I've, I've spoken about this on this podcast before, not that it's going to make a blind bit of difference to what Benjamin Netanyahu does, whether either Keir Starmer says something in Parliament, Andy Burnham mm-hmm. signs a letter, or Frankie Boyle does a pledge on Twitter about what's going on over yeah. there. Yeah. No difference at all. But the Muslim community is mobilised on this issue. Yes. And imams and community leaders are putting the word out that we want, we want what we want here. Mm-hmm. And they're putting an incredible amount of pressure on MPs. And this is what they're going to have to do into line anyway Lou it'd be wrong to ask you who you think's on manoeuvres but <laughs> I noticed in the Observer at the weekend there was a My Sunday um, in, the, in the Sunday supplement from Lord Heseltine yes. and we spoke about Hesel before we did. didn't we, we you, did. must, you met him a few times right yeah he, he's uh, one of those rare beasts of a true vocational well, it feels rarer these days doesn't it a true vocational politician uh, and actually I think one of the most surreal meetings of my uh of my brief semi-political career where we had a meeting with Pete Heseltine and with Michael Heseltine and Pete Waterman, which was, oh, really? was, was a, yeah, a, oh. a slightly trippy moment, right. but, uh, but yeah, he, he's, who was uh, DJing? Yeah, <laughs> definitely not. Pete, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, and, and actually a longstanding friend of Manchester. Yeah, as well as as probably the only conservative who'd get uh, a respectful showing in Liverpool as yeah, well. Yeah, I think uh, and that's true. And of course, Nadi- Mad Naz- Nadine Doris. Yeah, really, really positive though about and and supportive of regional growth and regional devolution and and that overall agenda. So, can you say, Lou, is that we are coming up to Christmas? Have they brought Hazel time back? As well, well <laughs> I'm just keeping an eye on it. I'm just keeping an eye on it. But uh, in in his statement on Twitter. Um, David Cameron has, uh, has, like I mentioned earlier, has praised Rishi Sunak as a strong and capable Prime Minister who is showing exemplary uh, leadership. But if you are looking for a little Christmas present, Secret Santa for Michael, get in the Nadine Doris book. He would love that. He really would. I can imagine it's top of his Christmas list. <laughs> well, I, I watched her on the news last week. It was deranged. <laughs> no, she is. No, absolutely. Yeah, 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 extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. I, I just think the difficulty with that is if somebody said to me, Chris, we want you to appear on GB News or another publication, another media outlet, and say, I want you to review Nadine Doris's book, I said, I can't do it. I can't waste, you know, five minutes of my life reading that piece of fiction. 
<laughs> right, on that note, let's go for a quick break before we come back for the fun bit. Business Cloud was founded in 2016 and our tagline is faster growth through tech. Every morning our newsletter lands directly into your inbox and provides insight with genuine buy. Our Tech 50 rankings shine a light on sectors as diverse as fintech and health tech. Our recent Fuel Manchester event won rave reviews and we have exciting plans for 2024. Business Cloud and our sister brand Tech Blast really are the names you can trust in business and technology. Fantastic. Welcome back to part three of the Northern Spin podcast. This is the bit, Lou, we, sh- we like to call the fun bit. Where, yeah. But the whole thing's been fun, frankly, yeah. today, having you on as our guest. I want to talk about uh, running in a, mi- in a bit because mm-hmm. you and I have both discovered the bug that is running. Yes. But also I want to just quickly mention Christmas markets. Yeah. I'm not a fan, right? <laughs> but they, they must do great things for Manchester's economy. Yeah. I mean, they're a big part of our visitor economy, aren't they? And uh yeah, and and I think um, I mean they they are on manoeuvres because they they seem to be <laughs> yeah. change, changing changing locations. You've done there. Yeah. Wow. You can you see, come back. Life you for a job, you know. Uh, but yeah, I mean a massive part of our whole Christmas experience, and you know, and how we bring people into the city every year. I should just mention that it's the 25th anniversary of the Christmas markets in Manchester. Oh gosh, now I feel and, really and old. And Michael made a point, quite a humorous point, was probably the reason I remember it. He said <laughs> off air, he said, are there Germans who come to, uh, you know, do, do, do we send people out to Germany to see a Manchester market, you know, uh, as well. It was better when he said it himself. And what would uh, be in a Manchester what market? What would be in it? What yeah. would be in it? I mean, knock off Stone Island from Cheetah <laughs> Mill. Obviously. Vapes. Yeah. yeah. A bit of old Joe Bloggs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, went to, um, I went to Birmingham at the weekend, actually, and they've got a Birmingham's Frankfurt Christmas market as well. And it's massive. You, you think to yourself that, you know, the Christmas markets is like the domain of, uh, of, uh, of Manchester, but, mm-hmm. but, but Birmingham have gone massive on it. What I sort of don't like about the markets it sometimes is this feeling this faux Christmas joy and that you spend like <laughs> £9 on a pint or a one-foot Frankfurter for 10 quid and think, That's, this is great. And my wife says, got to get some mulled wine. I said, why? Why have you got to get mulled wine? Because it's Christmas. That's what I don't like. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to be calling me Ebenezer Scrooge. <laughs> well, I wouldn't be the only person. <laughs> right, come on, Lou. Talk about running, right? This is Because this is a relatively new thing yeah. for me, as it was for you as well. Yeah, well, I did it a long time ago before I right. had kids and then kids sideswipe most of your life. Uh, and then I got back into it actually in lockdown. So right. I got started with walking because I couldn't sit on a zoom uh for for more than an hour at a time and I, like lots of us did got into yeah. doing walking and talking and doing some of our you know uh, our end of the day calls and then the walking got faster and then I thought you know I might just start running again now it is absolutely part of the the most important part of my daily ritual is going oh. for that run you uh, run every daily. day I run every day yeah. oh amazing yeah wow. and, I, and I the I mean we were talking about this before the headspace you know and just yeah. it's it feels like the biggest luxury to take that time out and just have a bit of time to think decompress yeah. think about the day solve the tricky problems so do you um, listen to anything when you do Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes I'll listen to... Northern Spin. Uh, the Northern Spin podcast. That line, isn't it? The Northern, Northern Spin podcast, <laughs> which, you know, I'll be... I'll have literally nothing to listen to <laughs> after this, so you need to bring it back for yeah. a few weeks. Uh, mm. But, yeah, I do. I, I like the... Uh, make my little playlists and go and, you know... Okay. Uh, 
Yeah, I like the solitude the streets of, of sale. But people often say to me, oh, you know, did you do park runs or do you go or training with anyone else? And it's no, I no. love the solitude of it. Yeah, solitude. Don't want to look around and see whether I'm a lot slower than everyone else. I just like my own little pace. Yeah. I've been overtaken. I've been overtaken by geriatric dog walkers. <laughs> I do not go. I do not run fast. You just don't look up. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah. One thing you mentioned there though is that you took up running really a lot. Or you you sort of re-engaged with it during COVID. Yeah. I, I started running during COVID because I was yeah. working from home. And because I wasn't getting out of the house, literally, yeah. I just wanted to do a 2K run. I did it about five or six days yeah. a, a month, a, a, um, a, a week. But then then the gyms reopened, started going back yeah. to the gyms. But I sort of missed running. And I only do it about twice a, a week. And I only do two kilometers. Because what I find, if you run on the roads, your knees and your ankles hurt. Yeah. Especially when you're, you know, over 50, which me and Michael are. Um, but <laughs> Very, very diplomatic. Y- yeah, very but... <laughs> But I, I do find it really good. Now, I don't know about yeah. you. I've noticed a lot more people running now. So many more. Yeah. Yeah, so many more. And it's free and you can do it anywhere. So if you end up stuck in Cambridge or stuck in what you can take your running gear, you can mm. go out for a nice... And you get to see a bit of a place as well. So I love yeah. it. And even when it's freezing... I still like the fact you get a bit of fresh air at the end of the day. And Michael likes running through the uh, Manchester Christmas markets, <laughs> uh, listening to Nadine Doris's book on Audible. I look forward to that festive site this year. Okay. <laughs> right. Come on, Chris. What TV recommendations have you got? Well, You've got some good ones recently. Yeah, I have actually. Yeah, I have. Well, I mentioned The Detectives, yeah. um, which is excellent as well. I watched one on Netflix, which was All the Light We Cannot See, which is absolutely mm. fantastic. It's based on Anthony Dewar's book. I hope I pronounced that name correctly. It plots the story of a blind French girl and a German soldier. Some outstanding act- um, acting. Um, Mark Ruffalo, he was uh, he, he, he's fantastic. Um, Aria Mia. Liberty, who plays the main part. She's actually a blind actress herself and she won, she beat off competition from two or three thousand other potentials to take the part and uh, a German actor called Lewis Hoffman. Um, they play the standout parts in it. Absolutely brilliant. Have you got any recommendations? Because you were at... Um you were at Celtic Aberdeen yesterday, weren't you? Probably? I did. I went up to Glasgow to meet Cousin Alan and we watched uh, Celtic against Aberdeen. It's the first time I've been as a home supporter, I suppose, to Parkhead, home of Celtic. It was a great experience. The atmosphere was a bit lacking because Celtic have actually banned a huge section of their support and then another section of their support didn't go to the game and boycotted it in solidarity. And they're the people that would often fly. They've been flying Palestinian flags. They're, they're very kind of... Irish Republican, mm-hmm. and yesterday was Remembrance Sunday. Yeah, and yeah. so yeah. you know there was a, I would say a thirteen-second attempt at a silence, which uh, didn't last very long, which shows you the cultural, mm. um, culture wars that go on in Scotland, which yeah, was absolutely fascinating. Uh, culture-wise, I've been listening to the Tortoise uh, Daily podcast, which is amazing. Great insights in the news. A good interview with James O'Brien. His book coming up. Yeah. So, are you uh, coming to his Manchester gig? Not a seventy-five pound a ticket. I'm no, not. I managed to snaffle it a lot cheaper well, than. Well, you're the chair of the but, chair of the yeah. business board. Yeah. <laughs> I sense. I sense a free ticket coming Michael's you know way. I, pay, I paid good money, and I'm taking our good friend Steve Connor as well. Oh yeah. As a, as He'll a like thank that. you for. Yeah. yeah. We'll enjoy that. Yeah, Greater Manchester's very own Moby. Yeah. <laughs> he's vegan and bald by the way that's why. Yeah. I also watched a documentary about the Essex Range Rover murders I'm, I must have watched more films about more <laughs> about one crime yeah. on that than anything else um, not sure it really got anywhere but it was a very very well put together documentary on Sky and I've started watching Cobra I'm on season two Ooh. where Robert Carlyle plays a conservative MP who I think 
is very David Cameron-ish. I've watched that. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that, which brings us full circle. Doesn't it just? <laughs> PM Sutherland, yes, modelled on David Cameron. So this is the final episode of season five of the Northern Spin podcast. We'll do a special in a couple of weeks where we'll review 2023, give some updates on the cabinet reshuffle, which will probably go on for about a week. Um, we've got some exciting plans for 2024 and season six. We'd love to have you back as a guest, love Lou. To. It's been really good. Uh, we're getting a new look. We're going to have more guests like you. We're going to have more interviews and a uh, slightly different look to the podcast as well. But that's all it. That's it. That's a wrap, as they say in Telleyland. If you want to sponsor the podcast, get in touch. We're on Apple Podcasts. Please review us. Don't forget to press subscribe. Follow us on Twitter, Northern at Northern underscore spin one, or watch us on YouTube. Follow us on TikTok at the dot Northern dot spin. Thanks for that. We're getting loads of good hits on there now. Chris's daughter, Imogen, posted a TikTok video of me last week and it had over 2,500 impressions. Blind. Yeah. yeah. Most, of which, most of which can be traced to his family. <laughs> um. I don't have that big a family. <laughs> anyway, thank you to What Media for recording the podcast, to our sponsors, FI Real Estate Management and Assets Capital. And thanks as well to our employers, Business Cloud and the Business Desk, for giving us the time and space and latitude to do this podcast. Special mention to Elliot Taylor for providing the music, New Beginnings, his track. My name, as ever, is Michael Taylor. This has been Northern Spin. And my name is Chris Onservative Maguire.